0: Our scripture reading picks up in chapter 17 at verse eight. Then the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame Amalekite army with the sword. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks, Thanks be, to be to God.
1: Please pray with me. Loving God, your word is always one of love and liberation. As we gather near to you Help us see in your work of freedom, the work that is ours to do. Amen. The Wednesday Transition Support Group is just finishing reading, Nobody Told Me the Road Would Be Easy, by Reverend Floyd Tompkins. It's a book of devotions, as Tompkins describes it, for people working for justice and peace. Now, we know that Reverend Tompkins isn't just an author and a scholar. He's the pastor of St. Andrew Presbyterian Church in Marin City and our colleague and partner in ministry. As the title suggests, the book is written with a heart for those who work for justice, those in the midst With the wisdom of a prophet and community organizer and the compassion of a pastor, Reverend Tompkins offers devotions that say true things about how hard the struggle is and that at the same time offer encouragement to sustain the weary. Tompkins says up front, the work for justice is taxing and tiring. He describes the intense nonstop work of organizing, speaking up, fundraising, showing up again and again and again, of constantly having to overcome the inertia of acceptance the way way things are. And then for that work, his devotions encourage those in the midst that it's all right to not be all right. To be weary from what is weary work that the work of justice is communal work and that we are never alone standing in the midst Tompkins writes the low rumble of hope is always in the background of discouragement the book takes its title from the gospel song no ways tired made popular by Reverend James Cleveland and inspired by a woman who had for too long journeyed through discriminatory systems it goes like this I don't feel no ways tired I've come this far from where I started from nobody told me the road would be easy I don't believe God God brought me this far to leave me We hear echoes reverberate from earlier generations. Echoes of Fannie Lou Hamer saying, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Echoes of Mother Pollard who months into the Montgomery Boycott declined a ride home saying, My feet are weary but my soul is rested. The work of justice is both wearying and worthy work. As we come to this morning's scripture, Moses has every right to be tired. Just look at that culminating moment, the Amalekites attack, and Moses' task is to take this staff and hold it above his head all day long. And in this story, the success of the struggle depends on him holding this staff high all day long. And this is but one moment in a long journey. Moses has carried this staff all along the road to freedom. Way back in Egypt when he was still facing down Pharaoh, this is the staff that Moses put into the Nile and the Nile turned to blood. One of the many ways God showed Pharaoh that Pharaoh's power was not ultimate power. The road out of Egypt was not in any way easy. Moses had to confront Pharaoh again and again, and when it became clear that Pharaoh would not relent, that he would not relent as, that he would not, as Moses demanded, let my people go, the people left in the night. They gathered up their things, tucked their robes in their belts, and and ran with Pharaoh's pursuing armies. And the waters parted, and the people crossed over, and then there they were, free in the wilderness in the middle of a desert as Judy Fentress Williams writes free from bondage the people found themselves homeless in the wilderness as this morning scripture opens the road hasn't gotten any easier they have just complained about having no food and God has sent manna in the morning and now the people have no water and they complain again to Moses now I think Too often we turn to this complaining text and we read it as a word against complaining. You shouldn't complain. But let's be clear. The people are in the desert with no water. They have every right to complain. And so God says, Moses, take that staff you've been carrying with you all this way and strike that rock with it. And the staff that poisoned the waters of Egypt and broke the bond of slavery, that same staff of God will send forth fresh water that the people can drink so that they might live. And Moses takes that staff and does the work, and water flows forth. And then, no sooner has that happened than the Amalekites attack an army comes on in slavery, in Egypt, fleeing Pharaoh's army, trapped and then delivered, thrust into the desert with no water, and now another challenge, another army, another threat. There is no rest here for the weary. And so Moses tells Joshua to gather some of their men to defend the people and Moses says, I will carry this staff in my hand, this staff that God has used to bring us to freedom, the staff that God has used to bring water from the rock, I will carry it to the top of that hill and I will raise it up and Moses goes up that hill. His brother Aaron and this other man Hur with him and Moses lifts the staff above his head and when he raises the staff and holds it up, the people prevail. In the Hebrew it's more they grow strong but when he can't hold it up anymore and he lowers it the Amalekites prevail they grow strong so there Moses is nowhere near the end of this long journey and if they are to fend off this latest attack he has to hold the staff above his head all day long Moses has every right to be tired and then Aaron and her remember them? They roll up a stone so that Moses can sit. And then Aaron and her get on their knees and they come up under his arms, one on one side, one on the other, and they help Moses hold his arms up. And they hold that staff up together. They share the burden and together the community prevails. as we read this scripture today as we observe mlk weekend in a predominantly white context it's important to start by saying this in this story read in this context we are not moses In the American systems of racism that MLK opposed, we are not the ones who endure daily the indignities of those systems. We're not the ones who know the struggle best. We're not the heroic leaders. It's healthy to start with a word of appropriate humility and necessary awareness in this story told in this context. We are not Moses. In fact, As Rev. Yolanda Norton pointed out when she preached here just about two years ago, in this story, we may first need to take a careful look to make sure we're not pharaoh. In the complexity of racialized systems of power over for white folks, the first task is to look at the ways that we may be participating in those systems how we might be complicit in those systems how we might be aiding and abetting pharaoh and where we see that we are as professor norton says stop just stop as we encounter the scripture this morning in this context we are not moses we need to take care that we aren't pharaoh and where we are to stop and this morning I want us to think some of what it would look like for us to be more like Aaron and her. The ones who get on their knees and work to support those who have long been in the struggle to support and to sustain to help do the work so that those who have been harmed the most don't bear the burden of that work alone so that they don't have to be so weary. Back in November, I reported here that I had participated in a gathering convened by the Marin City Ministerial Alliance, the pastors and congregations of Marin City. The Ministerial Alliance convened clergy from across the broader Marin interfaith community for a day of conversation so that we could learn and talk about how we could come alongside the Marin City community in ways that are actually helpful. Community leaders came in and shared with us the history of Marin City and spotlighted several pressing issues. At the end of that day, we named together that one of the main learnings of the day for us as a gathered group is that white Marin clergy don't know much about Marin City we don't know much about its history and the bigger issues the community faces we don't know much even though the issues that we talked about that day have pretty regularly been in the Marin Independent Journal we named that and we paused there I don't know if anyone said it this pointedly but this truth was before us you can't really help us if you don't know us if you haven't taken time to get to know our community and the challenges we confront on a daily basis the invitation to work together was there but there was clear work for us to do the white clergy and the broader Marin County community yes come help but before you come help do your work the general work of anti-racism and the specific work of learning with some humility about the folks whom you feel called to help if you don't if we don't we can actually come in and create more work for those who have been working and living this for so long we actually might create more harm first things first go learn about Marin City. Now maybe you've heard the broad contours of the Marin City's vital history. Marin City grew into its fullness in World War II as workers were recruited from across the nation to come and work in the shipbuilding industry. Many of those workers were black folks who moved here from the Deep South. A good number came to live in what was then temporary housing in unincorporated Marin City. At the end of the war, white folks who worked in the war effort could take the money that they had earned and they could go and buy homes throughout Marin County and elsewhere. But in Marin County and across the country, discriminatory practices like redlining and restrictive covenants kept black folks from buying homes, from creating family wealth that could be passed on. Now, few of the black folks who had migrated west wanted to return to the Jim Crow South. And many remained in Marin City. Marin County's current segregated housing patterns flow out of that history. A vibrant community continued to grow and thrive in Marin City, but significantly, the county and its board of supervisors retained retained control over Marin City. Because the county consistently fell short and continues to fall short in its obligations to Marin City, the grassroots community there formed the Marin City Community Services District. It's a collective effort to provide support and care to meet the needs of the community, and they remain vital to this day. At that November meeting, Marin City leaders highlighted three pressing issues currently facing the Marin City community. There is the long-standing struggle of Golden Gate Village residents to secure fair and habitable housing. Golden Gate Village was a public housing development built about the same time as the county civic center, designed by a student colleague of Frank Lloyd Wright. It's on the historic register. But over the last couple decades, the county and the Board of Supervisors have let Golden Gate Village fall into disrepair, what some have called demolition by neglect. And that's resulted in a lawsuit over the county's continuing failure to provide habitable housing, a lawsuit this congregation has supported. The county again and again has tried to push forward redevelopment plans without listening to resident and community input so that the community has to work relentlessly just to be heard. And there's the 825 Drake Avenue project. The county's unilateral action without consulting the Marin City community to crowd more high-density housing into one of the most densely populated parts of the county. The Marin City Save Our City movement is leading the efforts to stop that project and to insist on Marin City's right to self-determination. They currently have a preliminary injunction in place. And then, Not long before that November meeting, some white Tam High School students had posted a video with racial slurs, which called into question whether the school district was doing enough to prevent and correct that kind of racial harassment and which laid bare the racism that persists in Marin County, which called into question what is happening in our homes. The Marin City community has every right to be tired to be weary even so even so they persist in the worthy work of justice working to change systems and to help those who are hurting and we have much to learn if we are to come alongside that work in a meaningful helpful way we have our own work to do think on that scripture first We need to check the ways we might be too enmeshed with Pharaoh. We need to name clearly the systemic racism that persists in Marin County, the ways we benefit from and participate in that, and then stop. Stop and engage the work of dismantling those systems. Second, we need to have the humility to acknowledge that we are not Moses. The leaders and residents of Marin City are the experts here. We take their lead, we look to their wisdom. And third, like Aaron and her, we need to do all that, all that in a way that doesn't make more work for our Marin City neighbors, that doesn't make them more weary, but that takes direction, that is willing to get down on our knees and help support and sustain. But Scott, you may ask, what can I do now? And that is a fair and a good question, and I'm glad you have asked. In the Friday email, there are several immediate opportunities for general anti-racism learning. Next Saturday, there's an anti-racism training at Calvary Presbyterian Church in San Francisco, co-led by Joanne Witt. If you want to thoughtfully experience the Marin City community, you can join their MLK Day events tomorrow, starting at noon. There's information in the Friday email about that. You can Google. Google and start reading about Marin City agencies and nonprofits that are doing the work, what's important to them. And importantly, look at what they are saying about that work the Marin City residents, the Marin City communities, not what others are saying about it. And then there are a couple of emerging projects. Barbara is working with Reverend Tompkins and others who are envisioning a project that we hope will unfold that will have some opportunities for table meal conversations, Marin City residents and Marin County residents from outside of Marin City. There are some clergy who are working to come up with volunteer education so that Marin City leaders don't have to keep educating us about Marin City. We're doing that in accountability to them. In this morning's scripture, the road to freedom that Moses and the people undertake is indeed no way easy, and at every moment, God is present with them, saving, nourishing, sustaining, bringing them up out into freedom. And so, the gospel singer can sing both: "Nobody told me that the road would be easy," and "I don't feel no ways tired." Let's take a breath and say true things about power and privilege and with mutuality and humility, let's take direction from those who have been harmed the most and move into the hard work of freedom in ways that also that also help create some rest for the weary.